What a picture we have before us in Genesis 27. The Holy Spirit has pulled back the window of a home, a home of believers. But as we stand at the threshold, we see there are some serious problems in this home. Esau is a portrait of an unsaved person raised around the things of God, exposed to the ways of God, and taught the will of God. But he never comes under the authority of God. Like the lost do, he thought he could manage God. How foolish that is that there are those who, if, even if they believe in God apart from his word and apart from humbling themselves before him in repentance and faith and salvation, they think that they can get God to do what they want him to do. In fact, a lot of modern-day theology presents God in just that way. It's no wonder they think that. And just use God like a genie in a bottle and call him when you need him. He claim all the blessings that he has. And, and by the way, you can just live any way you want to. And this is, a, this is have your best life now and everything else you want. And, and God will be managed. God will condescend to let you do with him what you will. But he could not manage God in his own time, in his own way, and he thought he could have it his his own way. He lived by feeling, by emotion. He lived not with eternity in view, but with the immediate in view. He let his, his desires, his flesh, lead the way, and he followed it. He had no appreciation for the spiritual. The Bible clearly just taught us that he despised his birthright. The inner man, the, the eternity or God's will, these things never crossed Esau's mind or heart. As John Phillips puts it, he thought he could buy back with a dish of innocent what he had sold for a mess of pottage. The plan did not work. Chapter 27 is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. Everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes, especially the patriarch. The head of the household, the spiritual leader, the the family, the, the high priest of his home and his clan, Isaac. Isaac knew better. But when he followed his heart, when he listened to his feelings instead of submitting to the revealed will of God, he got himself and his family in this predicament. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We see that we've already discussed that in chapter 15, God's decision to establish the covenant that he had made with Abraham, which is the Messianic covenant, an unconditional covenant that God in his great glory and grace condescended to Abraham and preached the gospel to him, Galatians tells us. The scripture saying aforetime that God would justify the heathen, preach the gospel unto Abraham. And in that gospel, that good news was the, the teaching that all the world would be blessed through his, his lineage, ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was revealed specifically to Isaac and his wife, that that would be through in their twin sons. It would be through es- uh, Jacob and not through Esau. This was revealed to them even before the boys were born. The decision was clearly revealed to Rebekah and to Isaac But nevertheless, Isaac favored Esau. Do you see how clear this is that that God's will is known? And and yet Isaac, again, 
Esau got his thinking from somewhere. And Isaac never let go of the fact that he wanted Esau to have the birthright. Resolving to give him the birthright with all of its benefits, with all of its spiritual responsibilities and blessings associated with God's promise to Abraham. And as the boys grew, their, their characters became very clear. The directions, the leanings of their life soon proved that God was right. He always is, isn't he? We have to catch up with that. We, God will say something, and though it may not seem right to us, he is always, always, always right. He will always prove it out, when, even when it goes against our flesh and against the, the deep desires of our hearts. The Bible tells us in chapter 25, verse 27, that Jacob was, was plain. That word plain we've looked at literally means perfect or complete. The same word used of, of Job, of one who is righteous, they're complete in Christ. He was plain man. That does not mean simple. This is his spiritual state. Esau, on the other hand, despised his birthright. In spite of all this, in spite of God's instruction, his clear leading of Jacob before he was concerning Jacob, even before he was born, in spite of the superiority of Jacob's character. And let me just pause and say here, we're going to look at Jacob and see his actions. And as I've already mentioned in the teaching here, most of the time it is Jacob who is vilified and not Esau, and Rebekah who is put in a bad light and not Esau. But may I plainly tell you here, you will search in vain in the Scripture to find any negative thing said about them here in their dealings with this. And so we need wisdom, we need light here, don't we? Because we, we read in the Scripture here that, that Jacob, did he not deceive his father? Uh, and so we, we must say there are some perplexing things here, and that his mother aided and abetted, and, and that, that there's, there's problems, deep-seated problems here. And the will of God is clear, and, and God's will is, is the most important thing. In spite of Jacob's further legalization of it. Remember, he not only uh, had the, the God's favor, but, but Esau sold that birthright. You can say that was whatever you want to say. He put a small price tag on it, didn't he? He said, I'm going to die if I don't eat. I don't, what, what is a birthright to me? I could care less about a birthright. Give me something to eat. You can have whatever you want. Was that not his, his view toward his birthright? He sold it. If you sold a million-dollar piece of land for $500, whose problem is that? If you didn't value the land, if you didn't care about it, you didn't have any more, any more sense than to do that, you wanted a, a, a bicycle that moment, and you sold a million-dollar piece of land for a bicycle or a pup tent because you didn't think you were going to live long or it didn't matter much to you, you have no one to blame but yourself. And Esau knew what he was doing. He just didn't care. It didn't matter to him. He sold his birthright to his brother in spite of that, confirmed by Esau's solemn oath, in spite of Esau's obvious indifference to his spiritual heritage and to the will of God. In spite of all of this, Isaac nevertheless persisted in favoring Esau and giving him the birthright. We might ask the question, why? Isaac at this time, and though he is an old man, is living by the flesh. It's a problem that all of us have to deal with, and, and none of us are ever exempt from that possibility as long as we can... Take a deep breath. Would you just do that? Just 
That's life, isn't it? Or evidence thereof. And as long as you can do that, you have the, the flesh to deal with. That which opposes God and His will. They that are after the flesh, the Scripture tells us, do mind the things of the flesh. They think about them. They concentrate on them. Those things dominate them. They direct them. Things like appetites and, and feelings and uh, what we want and when we want it. That's living according to the flesh. Isaac loved Esau not because he was a holy man. Isaac's favoritism toward Esau was not because he was a good man or that he had a noble character. Not because he walked the pilgrim way, the ways of righteousness, but because he did eat of his venison. Isn't that what the scripture tells us? It's unthinkable. These precious, sacred truths, all the promises of God are hinging here, it seems. From a human perspective, we know that God will work His sovereign will in spite of man. Do we not see the providence of God clearly? Whatever you can say about Rebekah and Jacob and all the, 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 the doings here, even the fact that Isaac couldn't see to make the right decision is part of the providence of God because he would not have blessed Jacob if he could have seen who he was. God is in control of all of the details here. He loved Esau because he was like him. They like the same things. And while there's nothing wrong in that in and of itself, it should not have colored Isaac's judgment, his ability to see the will of God in the ways of God. It was carnal. It was fleshly that motivated Isaac and now controlled him in his bent, his determination to give Esau the blessing in spite of knowing the will of God. Oh, be careful, child of God. I have a pastor. I've heard this phrase I'm about and I never say it or hear it without my blood turning cold. I hope yours does as well. I hope it turns so cold that you'll never warm yourself in that direction again or go that direction. Pastor, I know what the Bible says. But this is my circumstance. This is the way I feel. This is what I want to do. Doesn't that cause a, a cold chill to blow across your heart and mind? I know what the Bible says, but this was Isaac. Oh, Isaac, who should have known better. Make me savory meat. We see more. Don't overlook a single word of the Scripture. What follows that? When he tells Esau, go out and make me. I'm, who knows, I might die tomorrow. That's true, but guess what? Uh, Jake... Uh, uh, Jacob, uh, Isaac lives for another 40-something years. He's old, yes. He can't see, yes. He's, got, he's feeble, but he's not about to leave yet. You see, when you think that way, there's some people, they live their whole life, one foot in the grave. Oh, I'm going to die. This, uh, this is miserable. I, I may not be here tomorrow. No, you may not be, but as long as you are, you better do the right thing. <laughs> you better think right. You better have God's Word out to guide you because you're here. You're not there. You're not gone yet. And by then, it won't make any difference. But right now, you're here. And uh, don't, don't look to die. Know that you may die. We ought to be prudent. It is appointed a man wants to die. I'm not ready to leave yet. Are you? But if the Lord comes, we'll go. We won't be able to say anything about it. But while I'm here, this one thing I do, this I must do. Make me some savory meat. Do you see what comes after that? Such as I love. Isaac was a southerner. 
You know how I know that? We love everything. We love our food on the same level as we love our mother. I love you, mother. Oh, I love, you know, pork and beans. And I love barbecue. I love banana pudding. We just use the same word for it all. And we mean it. We love it. I mean, I've seen people fight over a bowl of banana pudding, haven't you? And if you're raised in the family that I was, was a large family, you know, you had to, food was serious matter. You had to, when it was there, it was on the table. You better step up to it. It wasn't going to be there long. And I understand it. I have a ravenous appetite. You know, I'm always looking for the next, next meal. But that was what controlled Isaac. Go and make me a meal like I love it. That's, that's the spectacles that he viewed life through. What I want. What I like. This is what Isaac had become. This is not Isaac's finest hour. It should have been, but it was not. He should have had the spiritual discernment to see the ways of God. Isaac is one of the most blessed people in all the scriptures. Do you, do you agree with me there? A child of miraculous birth. A child born to wonderful parents with all their faults and problems. The, the father and mother of the faith, if you will. The father of all the faithful. The, the one through whom the, the Lord brought about his people and the gospel and the Savior he was heir to all of that. He, on his finest day, submitted to his father's will. When God the Father told him to be offered on the mount of sacrifice, Isaac offered no, no re rebellion. He was a grown man. He knew what was taking place. And he finally humbly asked, Lord, Father, I see the wood and I see the fire, but, but where's the sacrifice? And his father says, God will provide himself a sacrifice. But do you know that... Would you take notice of Isaac that just because you've seen great things and been greatly used by the Lord and had answers to prayer and have known great grace, do you dare not presume on any experience or what has happened to you in the past or who your parents were or where you've come from? We're all as weak as water if the Lord would remove his hand from us. The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can trust it? It is deceitful, and Isaac, who should be that Isaac, is not that Isaac right now. And I appeal so much to you younger people, but I'm appealing to your older, you older people. Don't take spirituality for granted. Don't tell me what you were in 1902, or 42, or 52, or 82, or 92. Where are you with the Lord today? How are you living today? Have the promises of God been rescinded? Has God's will changed one minute? Is God's word just as real and as, and as important as it's ever been? Isaac has slidden. Oh, I hate that word. It's one of the most ugly words in all the scriptures, for lack of better words here. I'll use a southern expression. Don't say an ugly word. My mother used to have, there was a, she had a, classification of ugly words and words that ugly words were not necessarily curse words but we couldn't say them we were they were dealt with just like they were curse words y'all get it did y'all understand what i'm talking about ugly words came out of the category your mouth could be washed out with soap if you said them if you call somebody a liar oh my that was an ugly word there's a whole list of them i won't go into them i, I feel the soap in my mouth just now thinking about it but of the spiritual words in the scripture, the word backslider. It's an ugly word, isn't it? There's nothing about it that's coming. There's some words that we say that just to say them is beautiful. The word grace. Say it with me. Grace. It's a beautiful word, isn't it? Mercy. 
loving kindness. There's so many beautiful words in the Bible, but there's some ugly words in the Bible. And backslider is an ugly word, isn't it? The backslider in heart. Do you know what he's like? You want to know what the definition? The Bible, I love the Bible, just defines what it says. Where does it start? The backslider where? In, in heart is what? Filled with his own ways. And here we see Isaac. He was a man controlled by carnal appetite. The same principle is seen throughout the Bible. It is seen in Abraham's marrying Hagar, in Lot's choosing Sodom, in Joshua's making the covenant with Gibeah, in Saul's sparing Agag and in his cattle, in Solomon's political marriages, in Jonah's fleeing to Tarshish when he had the known will of God to go to Nineveh, Peter's opposing Christ's determination to go to the cross, in Ananias and Sapphira keeping back part of the price, we see it over and over over and over again in the scripture and we see it all too often in our own lives do we not the carnal mind is not you know what the scripture says about the carnal mind the fleshly mind is not subject is not in submission to the law of god so pastor how do i know i'm on the way to a backsliding and how do i know what what that looks like Backslider in heart, it starts in the heart, shall be filled with his own ways. It's not filled with the ways of God. The carnal mind cannot, is, not, is not subject to the law of God. What does that word subject mean? In submission to. So you just answer the question. I don't have to come and do a di- spiritual diagnosis. The, the wonderful thing about the word of God, if we judge ourselves, he would not have to judge us. And he's given us all the tools to form our own uh, spiritual physicals. That's, that's kind of a paradox isn't it but our own spiritual test to see where we are and you can do that are you in subjection to the law of god if not you're on your way to a place you don't want to go as a child of i'm talking to regenerate people here and you're going to wake up in the middle of a situation like what well, it might not be exactly this but these kinds of things same ramifications eternal things weighing in the balances lives destinies at stake. Isaac knew better, and so do we. Please don't ever read the Scripture as that is them back there, over there in the Holy Land thousands of years ago. The truths transcend times and cultures and are here today. Don't ever miss when you're reading the Scripture, say, Lord, what is here for me? What truth do you have here for me? Isaac knew better, but he followed his heart. We hear that all the time. Again, we Southerners say it. We have all kinds of uh, isms and sayings. If I know my heart, you hear that? You're really trying to get sincere when you say that. I know from the depths of my heart, we will say. But the heart, apart from the Spirit's regenerating work and us submitting it, can lead us down a tangled path. He followed his heart, his feelings, instead of submitting to the revealed word of God. Do you know about the will of God? The Bible is so clear. The Bible tells us that the will of God in Romans 12 and verse 2, what does it tell us about the will of God? Three things. There may be a thousand things about the will of God, but there are three things that we know for sure. The will of God is good. Would you say that with me? It is good. God only wants what is best for us. 
Satan whispers in your ear, if you do that, you'll be messed up, you'll be unhappy, you can't live according to those guidelines, you can't live a chaste life, an obedient life. He whispers all kinds of lies. But may I tell you, can this just put the lid on the matter? God's will is good. God's will is good. It's intrinsically good. God's will is acceptable. Now, what does that mean? You, you sit down, at a, you go to a five-star restaurant, and you sit down, you ordered this, but it comes and it's about that big. You know, have you ever noticed the more expensive the menu is, the tinier the portions are? That's just the, you know, there's three beans and a little piece of meat about that. And, and then they do artwork on it and you're supposed to appreciate that and, and pay for it. But if you have the appetite that Isaac and I have, when you go to a restaurant, especially when the dollar signs are going, this is, you, go, you have to take out a mortgage to pay this. When they bring you a tiny little taste, a sm- not even a taste, a smell of something, in your mind, what are you saying? That's not acceptable. That's just not acceptable. That's not, that didn't look like the picture I saw. That didn't look like what you had at what the waiter came by and showed you and you said, I want one of those. It is good. It is acceptable. And then the Bible tells us it is perfect. What, can, what else in the, in the world can you call perfect? God's will is perfect. It is good. It is intrinsically what is best for us. In other words, it is beneficial. It is beautiful. That word good means beautiful, beneficial, valuable, honest. The things we would desire if we had sense enough to desire it. And then it is acceptable. It is fully agreeable. God's will is always, in our sanest moments, if we submit to it, it is agreeable, even though it might not appeal to the flesh right now. And then thirdly, it is perfect. It's complete. It is what we would choose if we had enough sense to choose it. It's what we would choose if we had all the facts. We don't, do we? But who does? God does. That's why we submit to His will. When God says something in His Word, it's because He's he's thoroughly investigated, knows the truth about everything. And when He says it, all the experience and power and wisdom of God is behind it. So we don't have to live and learn. We can learn and then live it out and know that it will be absolutely perfect. God has all resources at His disposal. When we talk about the will of God, He has everything He needs and we need to do it, even though it doesn't seem like it at the time. He chooses from the treasury of His best. He knows everything about us that is possible to know. Do you know you don't even know yourself? When we say, if I know my heart, the problem is you don't. It's fickle. It changes. There are hidden things to you that only God's Word can show you. That's why the Word of God is alive. It's powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces and divides asunder the joint and the marrow. It is a what? A teller, a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart that would be hidden from you if the Word of God didn't reveal them to you. That's what we have when we come to the will of God. He knows the end result of every possible decision. We sit and we try to make decisions. And I've heard all the people, they say, draw a line down the middle of the page and list all the pros and the cons. And, and that, that, all those things have a, a place. But at the end, we don't know all the possible uh, decisions of every, deci- uh, every uh, the possible results of every decision we make. But he does. He knows all the ramifications, all the outcomes. Isn't it best to trust somebody who knows it? Instead of just for trying to find our way and doing it in that way, ours is to trust Him, to submit to Him, to follow His will as it is revealed in His Word. Psalm 119, verse 128 is one of those verses that just, just absolutely helps me when I come to something that's, that, that seems that I can't understand it. 
And it says, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. What a verse. If God says it, it is right. And I esteem that. So here Isaac, in his backslidden condition, we should not assume that just because the believer is old that they're spiritual. I think we make that mistake sometimes. The best of us, those who've walked years with the Lord, those who read his word many times, should never lean upon our own understanding. But we should, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not into thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thy own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And so we must remind ourselves that Isaac and Rebekah are believers. And so this is a, a flashing red light to all of us of what can happen to the best of people if left to themselves. It should be a warning to every parent, your rearing children, to be careful about favoritism. There are a lot of lessons we can learn here, but these are glaring ones that we see in the Scripture. And a lesson to husbands and wives of the tangled webs that we can weave when we act out of sentimentality and favoritism and after the will of the flesh. Here again, we must emphasize the will of God. God always reveals His will, and He's revealed it here. This is not a matter of not knowing what to do. Sometimes we can say, I just don't know what to do in the matter. But when God clearly speaks, in answer to prayer, God told Rebekah, I have chosen the younger. Did He not clearly say that? I have chosen the younger to rule over the elder. He is the one. Now, folks, when God says something, we should rest in that. We should act when he tells us to act, but we never scheme to bring about the will of God. And I've read the commentators from John Owen to John Gill to all of the Puritan writers, and I've, there are all kinds of opinions about this portion of Scripture, to the justifying of the lying and, uh, and so forth. And, and we're not here to justify it. When the Holy Spirit speaks, we're to examine. He's told us this in all of its thorny ickiness, stickiness, and it's a lot of stuff here. We could say that uh, we, we, we do take away from this the providence of God, that God is absolutely in control and will bring about his will. Don't we see this here in spite of the characters in the story? In spite of Isaac and Esau and Rebekah and Jacob. And when God told Rebekah, this is my will. Two nations are in thy womb, your womb. The younger the, the, the elder will serve the younger. Rebecca should have hidden that in her heart and said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to bring this to pass. In this culture where that's absolutely the opposite and in the feelings and all that, 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 that it seems the right way to do, but I know that you can bring it to pass. Now, we can justify Rebecca's decision. In fact, if you read the Jewish rabbinical writers, when, they, the, when the Bible says that she heard Isaac tell Esau to go, they, the old rabbinical writers said that Rebekah was revealed, that was revealed to her by the Holy Spirit, that she wasn't eavesdropping, that God revealed that to her. And so that's rabbinical writings. That's not the scripture. What is revealed to us, she heard it. She knew what the plan was, and she came up with a plan herself. And so this we must say, be careful how you plan. 
You can do the right thing, how? In the wrong way. And that's never right. That's just pretty simple. You can do the right thing in a wrong way, but that is never right. Now, we can say, well, God, Rebecca was justified. And humanly speaking, we can see it both ways. But Jacob did not regard his birthright. He didn't want it. Now he's having second thoughts. He's already sold it. It's God's will. But our God is fully able to carry out his plan, isn't he? And when he tells us to act, we're to act. But we're to never circumvent and and be subversive in doing the will of God. And we always act in truth. Jacob didn't have to tell his father. What would have happened if Jacob, when Esau, when Jacob said to, to Jake, excuse me, when Isaac said to Jacob, who are you? What if he hadn't said anything? Could not the Lord have directed? What if he'd said, I am Jacob, father, and you know what the will of the Lord is here. I'm not saying we should put words in Jacob's mouth. I wasn't there. But what if he had done the, told the truth and not leaned to his own understanding? We will say this. God would have brought his will out regardless. So we, we look at the here and see the emphasis of God's will. And I bring it home to where we live. We still have much here to deal with, and, and time will not allow us to look at it. I, I just want to go to, to some of the principles that, that I gathered. When I studied this portion of Scripture, I jotted down. I'll leave you with those. The danger of not appreciating spiritual privileges. Do you see that here? You're greatly privileged, by the way, to be in a place where you hear the Word of God, not because of me, but because of God's Word and the faithful preaching and the teaching of it. Oh, beware that you look down on the privilege of what we're enjoying here this morning, of corporate worship, and the Word of God being preached and taught as we meet. Put a high premium on spiritual privileges. Secondly, don't do the right thing in the wrong way. There's always a temptation to cut corners. But we see here that that Rebecca thought that she could tell her son, you can go away for a little while and then come back. She never saw him again as far as we know. And Jacob will have to learn about his ways, will he not, from someone. When you decide to do things your way, you can always find someone who's got a bigger game going on than what you can do. Have you noticed that? Did he not meet his match in Uncle Laban? I mean, boy, he could, he could turn it every which way but loose. When you play on that level, the Lord will allow you to meet up with folks like that. So just decide, I'm going to do the right thing and live clean and live by the, the Scripture, and I'm not going to twist and scheme to, to do the, the will of God. Faith is living without scheming, Dr. Wearsby says. Third, we don't do the will of God based on feelings. Jonah didn't feel like going to preach to Nineveh, but that wasn't the case, was it? They needed preaching to, and God said to go and preach to them. And when God tells you to do something, he can work out all your scary things that are attached to it. Lord, what will they do? What will they say? I don't know how they will respond to me. They've been my enemy. All those what-ifs. Satan loves what-ifs because you know what they do? They paralyze us. What if I witness to my next-door neighbor? What if they close the door in my face or say bad things about me? or All the what-ifs. And so we just get locked jaw and don't do the will of God because of the what-ifs. We don't do the will of God based on feelings. We always say, what saith the Lord? What is God's will in the matter? Number four, the law of sowing and reaping is unchanging and does not show favoritism. I mean, I could just say, you know, the law of gravity is unreasonable. I think I ought to be able to jump off this building and fly if I want to or whatever. 
But the law of sowing and reaping will not be rescinded because of Chris Lamb acting like an idiot, will it? But that's our pastor, and he's a good man. And you, can vi- you can disregard God's law. I don't care who you are. You're going to get hit with it. The, the laws of God will not be rescinded because of your little circumstance, your little thing you've got going. Number five, God's sovereign plan will be accomplished, guess what, in spite of man. He has determined from eternity past what he will bring to pass, and you can rest assured he will cross every T and dot every I in his eternal will and counsel. And number six, God's grace is amazing, isn't it? We stand outside the door of this home so messed up. Mother has a favorite twin. Father has a favorite son. The older, the younger, the lying, the deceit, the, the selling of the birthright for, for a, a meal. And we, we stand out there looking and say, oh, my goodness, how do you get so messed up? We know the answer to that one, don't we? Just lean on to your own understanding and you can get messed up real quick. It doesn't take long. You don't have to just go out and try to try to. It, it will happen when you disregard the will of God. But I am glad to report so happy to report today that God's grace is amazing. And it is free. Oh, the free grace of God. Without price, without money. Come and buy without money. What a saying. Only the scripture could put it that way. Are you thirsty? Come and buy if you don't have any money. Why? The price has already been paid. Paid in full. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And as we leave this home and go to our homes as a husband, as a wife, as a child, a teen, a young adult, whatever it is, we're all a member of a family. And we're a member of this family, aren't we? Let us remember our, our spiritual privileges and our obligations to one another to live out the gospel, not only to receive it by faith. And I trust that if you have not been saved, that you would bow your heart and will to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive this free grace that he extends even now. The Lord is long-suffering, isn't he? His patience, his loving kindness is another word for his grace. It is rich. It is free. The price has been paid. Have you come to Jesus Christ on his terms? And If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He will give you the grace to do that. All you need to do is come to him. Tell him your need. He is in the, the soul-saving work. I cannot save you. Uh, Glen Iris Baptist Church cannot save you. But Jesus Christ is the Savior. Oh, the grace of God. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. And that's something to sing about this Lord's Day morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father... 
we do sing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, may that echo in our hearts and minds. And as we pause at the end of this worship, time of worship, I pray that we would all reflect where we are spiritually, young and old alike. Am I obedient? Have I submitted my will to the will of God? Am I leaning upon His grace and that alone to save me? Or am I trying to come up with some scheme, something to to please God? All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. We cannot save ourselves. We must come and submit to Him, repent, and believe the gospel. Jesus Christ is the Savior who came to this earth to save us. Tell Him your great need. Turn to Him by faith. We are praising, praying, church, and the Bible says, My house should be called a house of prayer. And I want you to know that every service, these, this place is a place of open. If you feel the need to come and pray and to do business with the Lord, you can do that where you are. You can come to this front. If you need help, we'll be glad to help you to see the things of God. Oh, Lord, search us and try us to know our hearts. And those who know the Lord, who may be in a dangerous place just now, Lord, they're just leaning on their own understanding, following after their own flesh. Oh, stop them, Lord. Would you just stop them? I don't know how else to pray it, Lord, but would you just stop them? Bring them to their senses. By your power and your might, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.